Welcome to our PME Business Hour. So this is um, a series about Bussi Lagani. We're preparing for Yod Shvat. And uh, what we're focusing on is the feminine feminine aspect of Yod Shvat. Of course, Yod Shvat is very feminine. The seventh generation that's ushered in with Yod Shvat through Yod Shvat is feminine. It's Malchus. And you see that everything about this generation is the idea of a whole new way. We did a recording today about how to how to fight a war in a whole new way. Everything in business and social situations and everything has been upgraded to the more feminine way, which is empowering the people to do it themselves. That's what Basi Lagani is all about this year. Not Hashem saying, I am fighting the war for you and I will take care of the bad guys. He's saying, I am empowering you to fight the war. The masculine energy does it himself. The feminine energy empowers others to do it. Right? So, Yud Shvat ushers in an era in which we, as I said, the very first, first sentence connected to Basi Lagani, not, the Rebbe said, don't, 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 you know, speak any, uh, you know, Fagalas and Bushim. Don't, don't, you know, don't, don't, don't dream. Dream on. Don't dream thinking that I'm going to do this job for you. That's the masculine way. That's, that's the energy of Zah, of Chesed's work, of there's Zah and Malchus. There's masculine and feminine. The Chassan and the Kala. Hashem and the Yidin. So Zah is the masculine aspect. It has six, it's different, six different parts. Chesed Vorta Paris Nesachai Yisai. Boom. That's the masculine energy. And then it, it, it has a marriage with Malchus, the seventh, which is feminine. So six uni- unifies with seven. Masculine with feminine. Good. So all the six genera- all the six generations were the feminine gener the, the masculine generations. In fact, all of Jewish history was the masculine energy. Until we come to this generation and on a dime, so to speak, right? The feminine energy is is introduced into the world. Why? I mean I assume preparing the world for Yemaisa Mashiach when it's the feminine energy will be the dominant energy. And even men will find a masculine way of tuning into the feminine energy. It's not just that the women will be the leaders and the men will sit and twiddle their thumbs. That's ridiculous. That they leave it for Turkey. Ever go to Turkey? Hmm. They have a big circle. They have a big circle. And the men are all sitting around smoking their cigars, cigarettes, whatever they are, you know, sitting around doing nothing, chatting. And the women are all in the center of the circle working, working, working. Whatever they're doing, um, taking the shells off fava beans or something like that. A bunch of women. I once visited Turkey, and we came across this circle of all these women, and the men are all sitting around, and the women are working like crazy. And they saw me, and they tried to push me into the circle. I was like, I'm leaving this place. <laughs> right? So that's not Yemaisa Mashiach. That's, and that's everybody's fear that, you know, isn't – we, we don't want a male-dominated society, but what about a female-dominated society? Will it be as unjust as a male-dominated society? No, because the female energy is the inclusive energy. There's a place for everyone, even the men, <laughs> so to speak. In other words, from the male point, male, the male energy is like, it's a, I mean, men are good people, right? We don't, you know, men are good people. If anybody listening to this knows a man, they're good people, but... They're a little bit more, I don't want to say it, a little bit a speck, like, 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 um, Pharaoh. 
said, I'm the whole thing. I made the river. I made the river. I do it myself. I do, I do it myself. So that's, that's sort of where a little bit the male energy comes from. I do it myself. I'm in charge. I don't need you. I don't need anybody. It all comes from me. And the female energy, again, there are good men in the world. Most of the men are good. But I'm saying it comes from that when Paro's ener- when, when the male energy becomes corrupted, then you have somebody like Paro. Now look at the female energy. That's more like Maishur Benu. Maishur Benu empowers everyone. The Nafiadar, the Rebbe, empowers everybody to be their best and to step into a bigger sphere of influence. And to the extent that the way the Nafiadar acts, the way the Maishur Benu of the generation acts in that uniquely feminine way, he says, I, it's not me, it's you. You're the focus. I don't really exist. You know, I'm not really here. I'm just, I'm just helping you. He's the ultimate life, the ultimate feminine life coach who makes people, gives people the impression that they did it themselves. Well, I'm glad I thought of it myself. That was such a good idea. I decided to go on Schlitzer to Australia. Glad I thought of it not myself. And you don't even realize, you know, as the Rebbe says, we all know who the Rebbe is. It's my father-in-law. That's uniquely feminine. But it's not just a humility. It's empowering people to be their ultimate best by stepping out of the way and empowering them in the feminine way. The woman, a great woman is behind, every behind every great man is a woman, a great woman. So now behind every great man is the leader, is the Nasiyadar, is the Maishurbeinu of every generation. They have to switch it. They used to say behind every great man is a great woman. No, that's not, that's not the, well, maybe that's what we thought then. Now we realize behind every great man is the Maishurbeinu of the generation who acts uniquely feminine. All the while being masculine, right? Okay. So, and that's why, um, and that's why it all centers around um, the Parsha, Parsha's Bashalach, it centers around Miriam. Because it says about Miriam, Gael zu Miriam. She was a redeemer. Hmm. Funny. I thought Meisherbein was the redeemer. He's the man. She's his sister. You know, she makes sure when she he was a baby, she made sure he was okay. She's the woman behind the great man. No, here it says the Gael zu Miriam. So what is that all about? Because Miriam, and in the feminine with the feminine energy, she has an aspect that that has to be absorbed by all the male leaders. What is that? There's something to something she has she has access to that in general the male energy does not have access to. And I'll give you, I'll, I'll make it a little simpler. For men, everything is either this or that, black or white. Wait a minute. So, wait, you brought cake or you didn't bring cake? Right? Wait, somebody, who was, somebody said they would bring the cake. Okay, did you bring the cake? Yes, no, no, you didn't bring the cake. You did bring the cake. It's either that or that. Very simple. You know, wait, you're going to be teaching, you're not going to be teaching. Uh, the dentist is in the office, he's not in the office. Just tell me which one. Very, you know, either this or that. Very rigid. In, we call, they call it exact. We call it rigid. <laughs> In the feminine world, they say, is the dentist, you know, so, so you come to the office, the man comes to the office, is the dentist in today? And he wants a yes or no. And she said, well, you know, no, I don't know. Is the dentist in today or not? Well, you know, um, he's, he's thinking about, 
What do you mean he's thinking about it? He's a yes or no. Is he here in the office? I'm going to knock on the door. Hello. You, he just wants to know. And she's saying, well, you know, because there's a third way. You know, he's really available for consultation on Zoom. If somebody sits down in that chair and they go to that computer and they need help, he'll talk to them through his computer because he has COVID, whatever it is. But in his mind, he's either in, oh, he's not here. Oh, you want me to talk to him on my computer? Is more right. So she's more she she's open to, more flowing and open to opposite realities coming together. Let me sort of shut that door a little bit. Opposite realities sort of coming together at the same time. So where does that come from? Right in between. So where does that come from? It says in Parshas Bashalach, it speaks about the song that we sang when we came out of out of Mitzrayim. And we know, as Yashir, Maishu, B'nai Yisrael, it says, Maisha and the, the men, B'nai Yisrael sang the song, you know, we're out, we're free, we're out of Gullahs, amazing! And then, we know, Vatikach, Miriam, the Nevi'ah, and Miriam, the Nevi'ah, took uh, the sister of Aaron, we're going to see what that's about in a minute, she took Esetafiyah, she took the tambourine in her hand, and all the women went after her, with tambourines, so, so the men were singing, and the women were singing, and they brought tambourines. And, you know, and this is a famous verse. So the question is, why do we need to know that? Why does it say in the Chumash? Because we need to know that the joy of the women was infinitely greater than the joy of the men. That the joy of the women was infinitely greater than the joy of the men. Okay. So, why? First of all, because there, one of the reasons is, classically said, their suffering, the, the, the suffering of the women was infinitely greater than the suffering of the men. When the women saw their babies cemented into the bricks of the whatever, it was, they couldn't. They just couldn't. It was, it was just, it was just impossible for them. And the men probably, you know, well, it, it was, it was a different thing. That's one thing. That's the classical reason. But, says, says the Rebbe, the reason that the women sang with much greater joy is because they already saw in their, their mind's eye the Geula. They already saw it happening. They already saw it happening. They were sure, these, these, these righteous women, that Hashem is making Nitin for, for them, and therefore they took tambourines up. Now where, where do you buy, where do you go to? There was no Amazon. <laughs> All of a sudden, there was no Amazon. It's the strangest thing. All of a sudden, did we know after 10 Makkahs, we didn't know there would be 10 Makkahs. There's no, we didn't read the Haggadah, we never went to a Seder. We're sitting in the shrine, there was no Seder, there was no Haggadah, there was no Seder. How do you know there are going to be 10 Makkahs? And how do you know that Paro's going to change his mind? And how do you know Paro in the middle of the night, pajamas in the middle of the night, is going to come and say, please leave now? You don't know any of this. You're in the middle of a story. When you're living there, you have no prior knowledge that it's all going to happen. So how... Right, so Yaakov would be... Okay. Okay, so they knew, but, but you didn't know when you were going to get out. So, again, it's not like if you hear from Maishar Benu, we're leaving in the morning. So now you go on. It, 
really, even with Prime, but I guess there are already probably these sites where you can get it through the drone. You can get it in an hour. So imagine, so who is it? Miriam is like, hey, ladies, we're going out. We knew it. This is amazing. So how many, let's see, does it count? She goes on the drone, drone, com, and they say, we'll be here by 2 a.m., and she, she orders, you know, three million tambourines, and they arrive at her door or whatever. I don't know where they arrive that you could have them all sort. And, or she says, just make sure they're there when we walk out. You know, she pays extra so that when we're walking out of Miss Ryan, the drone comes there. They follow us. You pay more for them to come exactly when you need it. It's worth it. Instead of hacking yourself a china, they're going to deliver them. It'll rain. It'll snow. Whatever it is. And this way, you know, they deliver it. You just, you say, okay, we tell you when we're leaving and you deliver it. Great. The only thing is it didn't, it was not like that. They didn't make it in preparation. So that's the thing. So obviously they didn't, they didn't, um, make, order these tambourines on the spot. So they must have made them in preparation. Now the men didn't make tambourines in preparation. Why not? Because they didn't really, really believe that they could ever get out of there. Because if you're here, if you're a man and you have masculine energy, and you're here in slavery right now, over there out of slavery doesn't really exist. You're just, you're, here you are in Miss Ryan, that's all you can picture. We always say, a boy goes away to yeshiva. A girl goes away to yeshiva, she calls home, she goes away to the seminary, calls home, she says, wow, it's amazing, you know what we do, we went on a trip to here and we did this and we did that and da 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 and on and on and on. The boy goes away to yeshiva, he calls home, so his mother asks, so how is it in yeshiva? He says, good. Um, how many people in your room? He says, three. How are they? He said, good. Where do you sleep? Top. Uh, do you like yeshiva? Yeah. He said, I gotta go now. You know, as if, as if every word costs them money. You know what I'm saying? By the women, you get, with women, you sort of feel like every word you get paid. Right? I, I've seen speakers here, I've seen speakers here, I'm not gonna say, when they talk to the women, they, you know, go on and on and on and on and on, and they give all these different opinions, all these different things. I have heard them speaking to the men, and when they speak to the men, I have heard those same speakers say, I know I'm repeating myself a bunch, I'm really sorry. They never said that to us. We love repetition. By then, every word, you know, you're paying, you're paying a fine. You're paying. I once went to, there's a place on Empire Boulevard, I don't think it's there anymore. I went to buy a carpet. It was a not from Jewish guy running it. So I asked him two questions, and then I, I said, could I ask you one more question? He said, one more and that's it. I want to buy from you. What is wrong with you? He would not tolerate more than two. He said, the third question and that's it. No more questions. Like, what, what do you care? You're sitting here doing nothing anyway. But questions and words and this and that, like you pay, you pay by the word. So that's the masculine way. You pay by the word. And the feminine way is the more you talk, the more you, you know, the better it is. So. Yeah. Yeah. I have two questions to ask you. He said, yeah. Oh, you, to, you got one more. He said I had two, two questions to ask you. You've got one more. Isn't that funny? That's the strangest thing. So here you have the men probably didn't quite picture. They knew sort of Maisha Rabbeinu promised them you're coming out of here, and Avram Avinu promised them. But come on, do you see it? No. What you see with your eyes is what there is. 
Whereas, whereas the women, they can hold two realities at the same time in their mind. They can, they can hold on to those two realities. So on the one hand, they were in the deepest slavery, and on the other hand, they knew we're leaving. And that's not a contradiction because in the world of there's one and two, either we're here or we're, we're out either in Gullus or we're in Gaula. That's, that's one or two. That's the world of either or. In the feminine world, it's either or, and then there's a third possibility, and a fourth, and a fifth, and a sixth. You mean the possibilities that you don't see. From their point of view, that's crazy. What kind of possibility that you don't see? Like, what's wrong with you? But, but by the way, you see in this generation, now you're supposed to picture the wealth that you don't yet have, and you're supposed to picture all of this, because it's a feminine generation. So the women in Miriam's time, maybe she was the one who led them to know, we are here now in slavery. It looks like we will never get out. Guess what? At the very same time as we're never getting out of here, we're already out of here. Remember we said on Shabbos, every, all the darkness that will come to an end one day is already at an end now. That's a feminine way of looking at it. So it all comes from her in that it says in the, in the Medrash, um, Miriam, she got the name because bitter. Miriam is mirror. Bitter. Oh, great. So bitter. A bitter person doesn't prepare tambourines and say, well, I'm sure we're getting out of here. A bitter person is bitter. And they feel hopeless. That's what you're supposed to do if you're bitter. Feel hopeless and angry that it's somebody else's fault. Maybe she's bittersweet. Maybe she's bittersweet, right? So, because, why was she bitter? Why did they give her that name? Somebody gave her that name. Because the Iker difficulty and the Shibut and the enslavement in a way of Vayimaros Chayehim Basara that they embittered their lives with, with Avaitis Perah, with work that didn't suit us, the main, that, that main phase of history began when she was born. She started the real, real bitterness. It was bad before. When she was born, it got as bad as it could get. So they called her bitter. She, she, brought, she came into the world when it got as bad as it could be. So um, when, she, when she was born, one second, um, um, and for 86 years, uh, well, she was born, sorry, four years before Maisha Rebbeinu. Now, why does it say that she was the sister of Aaron? He was born first. Oh, maybe she was born first. Right, 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 right. I forgot. That's true. I see he was probably her younger brother. Right. But she was born four years before Meisherdain. So now when she went to the river to watch over him, she was how old? She was born four years before him. So she was four years old. So it says, right, they were very mature. Right. They were very mature. So the bitterness started four years before Meisherdain was born. Um, and it was and it started with her, and that's why she's called Mir- Miriam. Good. And then it says, And then Hashem stood up the Redeemer, and that's Miriam. He brought us the Redeemer. Wait a minute. After that, she was born, and then Meishervena was brought. Nope. First she stepped into the leader, the, the role of Redeemer, whatever that means. First she did. And then, and then he was born, and then he became the leader. So what does that mean? Gael Miriam, she was the redeemer because she was bitter. That's interesting. 
Do you think that if you were to, well, could you get the, the job as Redeemer if you're bitter? I would, nobody would hire me as the Redeemer if I'm bitter. That's ridiculous. You know, I go to say, hey, I'd like the job. I'm applying, you have a job here for Redeemer. Um, they say, well, what are your qualifications? I'm very bitter. They say, like, thanks, but no thanks. You're not the person for the job. A bitter person cannot be the Redeemer. You've got to be up. They're hopeless. What do we need you for? We're going to have to support you. You know, <laughs> we don't want a bitter person. We want an upbeat person who feels like it's going to work out, guys. Don't worry. Everything's just going to work out. We don't need bitter people. But she got the job. Why? With her bitterness. Exactly. So why did she get the job? I hope it says here. Because, and you could say, if she's bitter, then bitterness and gaula are off, off the thing. The reason she got the job was because you can't just be upbeat to be the redeemer. Because all the bitter people really have, they have what they have. And they feel what they feel. And you're like, guys, why such sour things? You know how people say, smile more. And you're like, uh, I don't want to smile. In other words, what about all the bitter people who really have things to be bitter about? And you're the redeemer. And you're saying to them, oh, come on, just put on a happy face. Everything will be fine. And they're like, no, it's not going to be fun. You need, in other words, the leader of the generation needs to feel the pain of the people who live in bitterness. Because otherwise, to relate to them, because they're also part of the team. They're also, they're probably going to be the best soldiers, the best leaders. Yeah. And also, if he's only relating to the upbeat people, he's probably going to take about 10% of all the people. You know. So basically, you know, you can only be redeemed. You've been doing all this work for Mashiach. Imagine this. You've been doing all this work to bring Mashiach. You and your parents and your grandparents and great-grandparents were generations. And then the last day before, you know, or the last year before you might finish this, you fall into a slump. God forbid, you say, I don't know, I'm so, and you're angry and you're bitter and you're in pain and all this. You're sorry, you don't come with us. What? Are you joking? Are you joking? You know what I went through to get ready for Mashiach and now you're telling me because I'm in a sour. We don't take people with sour things to Here's the cloud. Okay, here's the cloud. Everybody's going to my Mashiach. Thank God. Get me on. They say, sour faces don't get on. Right. 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 Even the sour faces. Imagine if they say, sour faces don't get on the cloud. I can, you know what? I can even think of the people in the community who will say that, too. You know what I'm saying? Sour faces don't get on the cloud. Like, excuse me, I did all this work. You would also have a sour face if you had my life. You know, don't tell me to be upbeat. You'll be upbeat. You know, you're living la la la. So she had to really experience their bitterness. And she knew bitterness because she was born. You imagine being the one that everybody says, well, when you were born, that's when it got really bad over here. You know, that's cause for therapy. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? Like, like during the COVID, they said a certain man, his baby granddaughter came to visit and she gave him COVID and he passed away like, Oh, my goodness, don't tell the child. First of all, who says it's true? You know what I'm saying? Would you like to be that baby? The nose, you, you murdered your grandfather by having COVID when you were a baby and going to visit him. Like, oh, lovely. You know, I wouldn't want to be that. Would you want to be Miriam who's told, the minute you were born, it got really bad over here. It was bearable before, but when you were born, oh, my goodness, it got really bad. Thank you very much. So she knew what bitterness is. 
And she also, she was literally born into, hey, guys, here I am, fresh, brand new, you know, from Ghanaian. This doesn't look like too much fun down here. <laughs> right. So we're saying that Miriam had to be totally understanding and experiencing the bitterness, but she had because she was female. If you're male, so now you're bitter. So you can't be. You can experience. You can you can sympathize with people. But then you're too bitter to get the job as the redeemer. Because you have that masculine thing, you're either this or that. If you're feminine, there's no contradiction between this and that. You can be bitter and upbeat at the same time. You have to be a woman to do that. But a man would say, that's ridiculous. You can't be upbeat and bitter at the same time. That's why, you know, somebody taught us, a chassid dances with tears in his eyes. That's a feminine thing. The masculine energy says, no, you can't. It's either that or that. The feminine energy says, you can dance with tears in your eyes. That's why you see that, that, that the idea of being a chassid and everything of this generation is a feminine energy. It's, un, it's not the classical, classical way that we, that we understood Yiddishkeit. So here she is. She has both aspects. She's fully in the bitterness. She is the bitterness. It's her name. And at the same time, she's fully envisioning the Geula in a way that she sees it as a reality right here and right now. So what does she do? She makes a tambourine. She's born as a bitter child in a bitter time. And she, and at the same time, she has this other energy and she makes a tambourine. And she holds on to it maybe for 80 some years. Where she gets the materials? Uh, you know, uh, no, Amazon. No, but you know, if you have 80 some years to make a tambourine, a piece, <laughs> you know, a piece of wood and you carve it out and then you take an animal skin and you, you, you know, and then whatever you do. Yeah. Right. Right. So, but she told them that they were leaving. She gave them chizuk. She was the one who uniquely, she was, she was, she was the redeemer who told them you see what we're in now, but it's only one of two realities. The other reality is that – wait, we're going to get to that in a second, that she told her father. But she's saying to the women, at the same time as we're in one reality of it, it's horrific suffering, at the same time, we know that ultimately we will be out of here. So on the level of, we said, you know, good K love K, past, present, and future are all the same – we're already out of here. On some level, we are already out of here. Right? Can I say so, something? Okay. So now, again, what, where do we see it happening? The Chazal say, that the sister, Miriam, the sister of Aaron, took the, the tambourine. So why did it call her the sister of Aaron? Why do we have to know that? Why doesn't it call her the sister of Misha? And the reason is she had her nevuah when she only had one brother, Aaron. Misha Rabbeinu hadn't been born. Now that's interesting. Imagine if Misha Rabbeinu was born and somehow she has this nevuah that he's the redeemer and he's miraculously saved, as we know, and we're going to see in a second how. He's miraculously saved. So, you know, hey, it looks like it's really happening. 
we have the Redeemer here. Then we even have further evidence that the, that the redemption is going to happen. Okay, but if that's the case, before her brother was born, she didn't know that Maishu Rabbeinu was going to be born. You don't know, right? Pre-Pesach, pre you don't know it's going to be Pesach. She didn't know she's going to have a brother named Maishu Rabbeinu. She just had her brother Aaron. She had no evidence that this Geula is really going to happen. And at that point, when she had really no evidence, that's when she already had that prophecy. She took the she took the tambourine and said, "This is the symbol of my vision." It's not my vision; it's Hashem's vision. This is the symbol of the vision of the other frequency on which we, you know, one frequency is we're here in slavery. The other frequency is we're out of here. We're out of Mitzrayim. She had that vision when there was basically no evidence. No evidence. No brother, Meisherbenu, that is known to be the Redeemer, and she knows all of that. No evidence. That requires a female energy, a feminine energy, and in a way of really being an exceptional female. She was a prophet. She was a prophet. Hashem put it in her head. Because when, you're, when you have the feminine energy, you're not afraid of Nebuah. You know, well, let, let's just say like this. You know, some of the things I teach, so, so men say, well, how do you say that? And I always base it on sources. And if I don't have a source, I ask Mrs. I ask Rebecca and such and such, you know, is that it, you know, I check things. I don't just, but I say, in the women's shear, you can say a lot of things that you can't say in the men's shear. That's just the way it is. We're allowed to hypothesize, whereas men will not hypothesize. We say, I feel this, this, and this. About, about what Hashem is telling us. And men say, you can't, you know, we don't go by feelings here. We're just saying, this is my thought, and you see the Rebbe does it too. The Rebbe says, According to my humble opinion, I think this. I, am I telling you I'm a million percent right? I don't know, but I'm offering you my thought. That's a feminine type of energy. So, um, what's the thing, what does it say here? Um, and what did she say when she had no evidence? She had no brother, Maishar Bain, to prove her. She said, in the future, in the future, my mother will give birth to a son who will redeem the Jewish people. She, oh, I guess so. Well, she knew by Nebuah. She, her mother's going to give birth. Yes, we know. She was the one, she was the one who convinced her parents to remarry. Her father, you see, that was the thing. The energy of that generation was her father was the leader of the generation, and he got all the men together, and they all decided, all the wise men, all the king's horses and all the king's men, all the wise men got together with their wise male chachma, which has definitely a very strong place, and said, we all have to divorce our wives. There shouldn't be any more babies. And she was a little child and said, excuse me, but but Harav, that doesn't make any sense. And, you know, what she said, um, Hara wants to kill the Jewish boys. You want to kill the Jewish boys and the Jewish girls, God forbid. You don't. And, and they had to think about it, and I guess they accepted it from her. They wouldn't have taken it from their wives, no doubt. But she was a little girl, and, and it was sort of an interesting idea, and they took her advice. But, wait, we're going to see in a second. They took her advice and made the decision, all the wise men, especially her father, said, Oh, that's an interesting point. And remarried publicly his wife so that everybody else would publicly remarry their wife so they would have babies. 
So her father accepted her advice, and yet, remember, it wasn't simple for him. He sort of took it on Kabbalah's soul. It's an idea. Okay, I will accept it. And then when Maish Rabbeinu was born, I'm sure that all the men said, wow, 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 wow. And then when Maish Rabbeinu was thrown into the river, so to speak, sent into the river in the basket, remember, the river is the River Nile. Why did Maish Rabbeinu have to go into the River Nile? The River Nile was the place that they were throwing all the babies up. Pharaoh was throwing all the male babies into. The minute that Maish Rabbeinu, as a male, as a Jewish boy, baby boy, went into that river, the Gezerah came to an end. Right. He had to go into the river to bring the Gezerah on the Jewish baby boys going into the river. Through his own life, he had to go into the river. But Hashem saved him. He went into the river in the basket and the miracle. But he, but he needed to go into that river and, and stop the Gezerah by literally being in it with them. The other baby boys were in the river, so was he. And But what happened to the father, to Miriam's father, to Maishrabena's father? The minute he saw the baby, baby boy, remember he went, he, the baby boy going into the river, he gave her, he gave her a little, a little punch on her head. And he said, my daughter, where is your nevuah now? He was in such pain because, imagine, you're a man, you think a certain way, you decided to trust this little girl, and you trusted her, and you told all the men in the generation to do something, you know, very, very, very severe, you know, go ahead, remarry your wives and have babies. And you listen to this little girl, and then it seems like that was a poor decision to trust this little girl. And so what? Um, he gave her a little punch, and he said, well, where's your nevuah now? He sort of, you know, I'm sure he felt a lot of things. Intense disappointment, pain, angry at himself. Why did I trust her? Why did I trust this? Etc. And because it says now, she stood at the side to see. What did she say? She stood on the side. She stood on the side of the um, of the um, of the river to see what. To see what would happen, maybe he'll be saved, maybe he won't be saved. After 80-some years, you're holding on to a tambourine. You're holding on to a tambourine. You have no evidence whatsoever. You're hanging on to a tambourine. You have zero evidence, and you believe, of course, we're getting out of here. And then the baby really is born, and you know that this baby is the Redeemer. And now you're going to lose it and say, I wonder if he's going to be saved. Ah, good. So the man would say, I wonder if he's really going to be saved. Maybe we're, we were just being foolish. And the woman would, be, would say, I want to watch the miracle and see how he is being saved. Not if he is being saved. If was determined. We know, we've been thinking, the if is not an if. It's yes. We've been thinking that for 80-some years. It's yes. There's no if. The yes, but we're thinking, oh, this will be interesting to see what creative method Hashem creates out of the box method Hashem creates to save this Redeemer from the River Nile. This will be really interesting. So she stood to the side to see Ladea to know how he's going to be saved and redeemed. Um, 
to know, to see with great knowledge what will be the end of the Nebuah. So, and from that point on, and she was waiting with, you know, eyes, longing eyes, when her Nebuah will be fulfilled. And the longer the Gullus went on, the longer it became bitter, so that um, that the, the bitterness of the Gullus is emphasized in her name. Okay, so... So we're going to sum it up by saying this. When we're preparing for Yudshvat, which everything we've said that is so uniquely feminine, the real myla of the feminine energy that we're focusing on here for Yudshvat is being able to hold on to two opposites. Because really we could say Yudshvat begins the seventh generation, the generation of Malchus. Malchus also means, that means we become elevated to the level of leaders. Gullus leaders they're on an elevated, you know, they have a much better life than everybody else. You know, like in communist China, you know, every like what they're planning, the globalists are planning. We're all going to eat bugs. They're eating caviar and filet mignon. You know, in communist China, what do you think? The leaders over there don't eat, you know, they, you know, they make all the people eat simple, simple food. And the big uh, guys at the top, they, that's the old Gullus leader. The Gaula leader leads and feels the pain of every single person. So when we became empowered as women and just bring the... We, we aren't just being empowered as women to usher in the gula since Tashin Yodal of 1951. We're being empowered to teach the entire world how to live in the feminine energy. Even if you're a man. To live it, like the Rebbe. That is a man who lives with the feminine energy and the perfect combination of the two. So how to be how to be between two different worlds and pull the two together, spiritual and physical, etc., all of that stuff, the sixth generation, the seventh generation. True leaders are true feminine leaders, meaning the real leader of today doesn't just tell people what to do, but he, she, empowers, a true leader, Dr. Wernicke said it was a few years ago in Montreal. He said, a true leader, what does he do all day? He builds leaders. He said, the Rebbe is a leader who makes leaders. A true leader in the feminine way devotes his entire leadership to making leaders who are then trained to make other leaders, who are then trained to make other leaders, who are trained to make other leaders. That is the unique feminine energy. And that's, we've been, you know, right, we've been given all of the treasures. So the treasures really are in sight as Bhatti Lagani. We've been given all the treasures to the simple people. We're the simple people and all the treasures. So we're saying, what is the treasure? The ability, I would say in this case, it's my thought, the ability to lead the world in the feminine way so that every leader is creating leaders or creating leaders. The ability to create a world full of leaders who then leave the world from the gullus to the gula. So may we find ourselves in that as those leaders and and in the Beit HaMikdash immediately now. Mm-hmm.